0: this is steve balton you are tuned into my turning point and you picked a great week to tune in Uh, i am so beyond honored to have on this episode the great billy idol one of my favorite interviews i've done in years fascinating conversation billy was amazing talking about fame his new ep the roadside the motorcycle accident that nearly killed him so much more really enjoyed this conversation and feel very lucky to get to share it with you so hope you enjoy it as much as we did so how's
1: it going today, Billy? Oh, no, no, good, thank you, Steve.
0: Good. So where are you today? Where, where are you? Uh, looks like rehearsal.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, Los Angeles, actually. Just, uh, just at my house in Los Angeles. But uh...
0: <laughs> Well, I am very excited to talk to you. I've been wanting to, to... There's a very short list of people I've never interviewed, and I have tried for many years. So I'm glad that you, you finally decided to do this. I do have a great story for you before we start. This is you and I have met in the past though. And actually I love the story. We met at a John Barbados event years ago when he was doing the Stewart house event, which was always so wonderful. And so many great memories of those events. And it was really funny. I had a cousin. This was about 2005 who was six years old, who had decided that the only person autograph he wanted was yours. (laughs) <laughs> and then I randomly ran into you at this event, and none of us could figure out, by the way, how the fuck a six-year-old knew that he liked Billy Idol. Turns out he had been listening on the parents' iPod, and so that was it. So I asked you about it at the event, and you signed an autograph to him. Keep rocking, James. Keep rocking, Billy Idol. So uh, I always thought that was very cool. And your girlfriend at the time—I don't know if you're still with her—she thought it was hilarious as well because no one knew how a six-year-old, you know, was such a big fan. But um, I've shared that story many times over the years, and people love that story. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie, dude. I was jealous when you signed the autograph. I was like, shit, I should just keep this for myself. <laughs> but, you know, this new EP is wonderful. And it's interesting because, you know, oftentimes I'll ask people about a turning point moment and <laughs> you put the turning point moment right in there with bitter taste. And it's an interesting thing because I think a lot of times, as I talk about with musicians, when it comes to successful songs or being in the midst of a hit record, It takes a while to process everything. It's interesting that you chose to write about this motorcycle accident now. What was it that was it something that you gained a new perspective on being older or it just felt like the right time?
1: Yes, probably a combination of those two things. I mean, uh, yeah, um, we were sort of writing the EP at the beginning of the coronavirus. It was like May, May, June when we were writing the EP last year 2020 and um, yeah exactly it was kind of like i just knew uh, for me um when things happen it, it always takes me a bit of time to kind of uh, take them in let them marinate and then you can sort of write a song about them you know but it doesn't always happen immediately so something like the pandemic i just thought and also, it was May, June. I mean, at that time, we really didn't know that much, and we you know, we all had hopes it would all be over by September or something. You know, it was, there was a lot of so, uh, so we really didn't know a lot. And so, I thought, well, I, you know, I want to write something that, you know, would would people could identify with during this time. You know, that I could see that you know, there was, there was already people dying and everything, and. Um, and some people I knew had got it really badly. Some young people I knew. Um, a producer, Andrew Watt, he he was one of the first people I knew, who's a young, a young man who's nothing wrong with him, and he got uh, he got the coronavirus really badly, so much so he had to go to the emergency room. Anyway, there was all that going on, but there was a lot of confusion as well. So so I I, I thought, well, I can't really write but then I started to think about well, what can I write about? That was like a big, big sort of moment in my life, like a crisis moment, a problem time, something where I had to readjust my whole life in a way. Uh, yeah, once it happened, and I started to think about, well, the motorcycle accident, I'd never really, you know, I always said it'd be great when it's 20 years or 30 years away from the motorcycle accident, you know, just because it's so far in the back mirror, you know, you're going like, man, I, you know, and then I did manage to recover okay. And, um, so I thought, started to think about that, that the motorcycle accident was something I could write about. There was a big crisis in my life. There was a bit of a watershed moment and also, yeah, it changed my life a little bit after it. And, uh, so that's really, yes, it was a kind of a combination of things, um, why I wrote about the motorcycle accident. And yeah, it is kind of timely. I mean, it's a long time. I've, yeah, I've had 30 years to reflect on it, you know, and, uh and really sort of come to terms with it and um, be able to talk about it in a song really. And uh, yeah, it came out really great. I mean, that's the thing about bitter of Taste. It really came out great.
0: Yeah. Now that's interesting. So for you, it's funny. I mean, as you go back and as you say, it takes a long time to process. When you look back on it 30 years later, are there things that happened or that you think about from that time where you can now appreciate that you may have, you may not have appreciated everything that happened at the time but now with that perspective you understand the difference that you made in your life that you may not have even thought about 30 years ago.
1: Yeah, I mean I'd, I'd actually come out to Los Angeles from New York where I've been living a bit of a vampire existence. It's not it's not New York's fault. It was really just it was really to do with me being became becoming so well known on MTV and stuff it just you know, your life kind of starts to, you know, just because if you walked outside your door and I'd, I'd never really thought about it. You know, I, you know, as a musician, it was like you're always a little under the radar. The <laughs> television star was, was, was nutty. You know, it was crazy. And, you know, you, you couldn't really, it was, it was difficult going out even because uh, it wasn't just music people who knew about you. It was, yeah, as the MTV got bigger and bigger, it was like the whole of the world. <laughs> <laughs> could recognize you just from your voice even or your hair or something you know so uh, i don't know there was a lot of things like that that were going on and i'd come out to los angeles really to to kind of live a more daytime existence ride motorcycles with some friends out here and sort of you know kind of get my you know get over a lot of the things i've done to myself but of course i sabotaged all that for a few years and yes, I ended up riding motorcycles, but ended up riding them, you know, we were always, we were a little bit high as a kite, you know, which is terrible. It's the worst thing you can do. I mean, you should should never ride motorcycles like that. I never ride like that now. And um, so really, I was sabotaging my own, you know, recovery in some ways. And that was one of the things that when the motorcycle accident happened, it really made me go, why did you come out here in the first place? It wasn't. To have an accident like this, it wasn't to stay fucked up, it was actually to sort of, you know, re, re sort of grab hold of your life. And that's kind of what happened after it. Then gradually, it took me 10 years or more of sort of AA and um, a number of different things to eventually, like, you know, put drugs on the back burner, you know, where they, they weren't central, you know, you were getting some semblance of control because there is no control. The AA people will tell you there isn't really, but you get a semblance of control and maybe um, a little bit of discipline. You've you know put a bit of discipline into your life where you are able to. Also, I stopped knowing people who sold drugs and stuff, so that that was one way you could you could sort of you know get away from them. Was like if you just don't know people who are selling them, and um, but of course, then one day I found out someone was selling crack down here on the corner. You know, at some pizza store. The next minute I was in trouble again, so you know I went through you know going off the wagon and that, but really the motorcycle accident it reaffirmed that man, you didn't come out here to be fucked up, you came out here to kind of you know get yourself together, and that's kind of what I did after that, and also I had children by that time, and it was a question of what was I really saying to them you know um was I saying that, oh, you know, being high is the only way? I mean, I, was, I wasn't, I was, you know, so the motorcycle accident was like a big watershed moment because, yeah, I really did sort of um, address my demons and, um, and gradually got control of myself to where I can still be here today performing, enjoying it, recording, writing songs and, and enjoying it. And, you know, this is what I really love. This is what really makes us high. It's doing the music. That's what it was really all about. The drugs was just like a, you know, something we got caught up in. I think because when we were young, they were romantic. You know, it was a romantic. There was a romanticism about them, which isn't there anymore. I mean my children can see, it's not romantic. You know, thank God.
0: Well, I mean, there's so many interesting things in that, and it's funny because I also think that what you were talking about the fame that also ties in with it and the drugs and the romanticism and fame is a, as a very debilitating thing. And it's funny, as you were telling the story of MTV, John Sykes over at I Heart now, but former president of MTV is one of my really good friends. And yes, he tells I this hilarious that. story about getting Pete Townsend to record a promo at the beginning of MTV for the, I want, you know, where Pete did the, I want my MTV. And they used that as part of the promo. And then Pete years later ran into him and was like, you fucker. Every time I would walk into an airport, people would be like, I want my MTV. you know. And he's like, if I had known, I never would have agreed to do that. Of course, they're still friends. But again, that, that fame that came with it, and especially for musicians, you're coming out of London, you're coming out of Generation X where you can go anywhere. And all of a sudden, there's this new thing where it's like you say, your t- as John Mayer called it, I love John, airport famous. And that fucks with you in a different <laughs> way.
1: That's a good way of putting it
0: yeah so for you it's interesting when you look back on it now do you feel like you're enjoying this more because a you're older but b it's also about the music and you're no longer airport famous and i mean i'm sure you walk into a lot of airports people recognize you but it's not the same thing as before
1: that's it exactly it's it's on a much more manageable level and it's not it's not crazy like it was crazy you know It, it really did get crazy and um you couldn't have escaped it, you know, because it would be whatever you were doing. It would just, you know. Yeah. So um, that's right. I mean, um, that's right. I can enjoy today so much more in a way because I still can do the music I love. We're working with the people. I love working with Steve Stevens still. It's, it's fantastic. And, and that's right. You, you haven't got the distraction of all this kind of, ridiculous fame or or fame of the moment. You know, it's kind of a, it's, it's not a real fame as well because once you're not on the television so much, people soon forget about, you know, it's like just because they're seeing you. So it's, it's different to the fame you had as a successful musician. That kind of lasts But the sort of fame of being on television. And that is all a bit, it's all a bit ephemeral or whatever the word is. And uh, yeah, it was all, it's kind of ridiculous. And, um, just got in the way of making the music, really, just got in the way of, I mean, yeah, it was great because he gave you a platform. I mean, there was a point in time where, you know, the American radio wouldn't play my music, you know, because I had spiky hair, you know, because I had a punk rock image. And they said, well, you know, punk rock music, you know, we, we don't think it sells advertising dollars, so we don't play People who've got a punk rock image, but of course MTV. Once we we're on MTV, and White Wedding was on there, and then you had Cindy Lauper, and you know the Madonna and Prince and everybody. You know, all the fans started calling up the radio stations, so they're seeing the videos and hearing the new music on on MTV. And yeah, it was a great platform, and it broke down the the radio next minute. Yeah, they're all playing our music because they could see that it was. You could sell advertising dollars if that's what they wanted the answer to, but after that, you know, yeah, I'm much more happier today because, yeah, I can enjoy all the things that I was doing, you know, before MTV or whatever. And but then you don't have this ridiculous fame that's that's just I don't know, not it gradually, it's crazy, it just uh, it drives you a little mad and it makes you crazy and it makes you. I think it makes you have psychological problems, probably some kind of PTSD and stuff like that, because it, it's weird, you know, it's just very weird. That's all I can say. I mean, people who are massive on television, I can only imagine, I kind of know what they go through. It's horrible, <laughs> you know, really. Just, yeah, there's a load of money and, yeah, you do, like I say, you have a platform. And, but, yeah, the kind of disruption to your life and just what it does to you is very weird. So yeah, so that was uh, that was another thing, really. I suppose uh, I did kind of, you know, thank you know, MTV stopped playing videos quite so much. So, uh, and also I kind of retreated a bit from all of it. You know, the paparazzi thing was just starting to go megalomaniac around 1994. I don't know soon after that that you had the Britney Spears. Rolling Stone cover with American Tragedy, you know, and it was all about her being just absolutely tortured by the paparazzi and I could see all that was starting to happen and I just, I didn't want that for myself, so it was like, yeah, I'd rather like pull back and not be successful, if that's what it meant for a while. And So for a few years, I didn't even play live, you know, I just pulled right back and then we went back on the road about 1999 and we just sort of concentrated on the music really and uh, I did do a couple of videos and things over the years, but um, yeah, it was it, it was it was fun again, really. Yeah, we, we <laughs> didn't have all that weird, yeah, that weird fame of of everyone in the world knowing who you are, but they don't necessarily love your music. They just see you on television, you know. So you're this big TV star, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, are there artists that you've talked with or that you've that you're friendly with where you you know, because I've talked about this with everyone from Ozzy and Robert Plant to you name it, and I mean, it is. It's a. Are there artists that you really admire or that you've talked to for the way that they've been able to step out of it and and manage it on a level? Because I I remember actually talking about it once with Robert Plant in an interview, and we were t- and it came up and he was talking about not doing the reality stuff and all that, and he made a joke, but it wasn't totally joking. He's like, "Well, that's probably why I'm playing the truck stops." Because this was around the time of the Osbournes. And it's like, but I think for some artists, yes, you would rather trade that fame, you know, and, and if it means you're less popular, well, at least you have your fucking sanity.
1: Yeah, that's right. And uh it's, yeah, and you still got your you still got your musical abilities. You still got, you know, there's there is an audience there that doesn't go away completely because you have built up an audience over that time. And it's the audience that you've built up musically. It's 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 to do with your music and um not quite so much to do with you just being on this thing on television, you know. But yeah, I mean uh I suppose a number of other people have had to do it in in lots of ways, um, but yeah, that's it. I got my life back in a way, and yeah, maybe you know you don't play quite so such big places, and all, but I mean, big deal. I mean, I come from a, I was in a punk rock background, so our whole thing was it's not about how many people you play to; it's it's the music you're making, and you know whether there's ten people there or ten thousand or ten million, it's the same. It's the same. It's the same same thing, you know. It doesn't matter how many people are there. It's, in fact, actually, you can actually kind of go more when there's less people.
0: <laughs> well, so that's interesting. Let's take this on today. Because unfortunately, I mean, you and I could talk for hours, and I know we're not going to have a ton of time. So it's interesting for the Roadside EP, you know, with the fact that it's focused on the music. And I started, obviously, with Bitter Taste because it's such an autobiographical song. But others... Okay, wait. What the last... Put Your Clothes Back On, right? Great song. I love the way you put it. All it would take is one song and one good drink. What's the one good song? What is the Billy Idol song? And not necessarily your song, but if you go to, it's funny, I just was talking about this in another interview, the sexiest song of all time, that one song that it's all it takes.
1: Yeah, it could be Flesh for Fantasy. It could be Eyes Without a Face. I don't know. It could be... <laughs> <laughs> I've got quite a few sexy songs, so. <laughs>
0: All right. What about for you as a fan? Is there anybody else that has that? Like that, you know. As a fan, what's the sexiest song ever?
1: Uh oh, God, I don't know. Well, uh, oh yes, what was it? Trouble Man. He was uh, sexual healing and stuff. Was pretty sexier.
0: <laughs> Actually, it's funny. Carlos Santana picked the same song, so I think that may be oh. it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like well you know so it's interesting with this are there songs from this ep that you are really excited to do live and especially because like you said you've toured regularly you have played live but having new music for the first time in seven years to play live that's got to make it so much more exciting
1: yeah exactly it's really fun and uh yeah it's great doing uh, at the moment we're concentrating on um bitter taste and rita hayworth the, the kind of the uh, some more rocking tracks and more will think you get them immediately. And that with the, the, the EP is not actually out till September the 17th. So yeah, we're just concentrating on the kind of slightly more up tempo. Well, bit of taste is a bit more of a ballad, but, uh, and then to, to balance that off here, yeah, Rita Hayworth is, is a great rocker.
0: It is. It has that real energy. I mean, it's funny for you. The other thing that I find interesting, I talk about with artists all the time too, is right. You also couldn't tour for a year and a half. No one could. So you have this perspective to be able to appreciate things in a new way. Are there songs of yours that you're like, okay, wait, you know, maybe I'd gotten sick of playing White Wedding because I have to play it every single day of my life. And after you don't get to play it for a year and a half, you're like, okay, wait, I actually either missed it or you start to think about, well, I can reformat these songs a little bit. I can do maybe, you know, maybe Eyes Without a Face becomes a rocker and, you know, whatever it is, but are there songs that you really appreciate in a different way, having not been able to play them for a minute?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, yes, you do feel like that, especially the band I've got are really great, and uh, feeling them in action with these songs, which are really they're classic Billy Idol songs, so uh, the audience just reacts amazingly to mean Cradle of Love and stuff like that, so we kick off the show with that. And yeah, that would be a song where I wouldn't really think about the, you know, the action the reaction of the audience, but yeah, it's a really strong song the audience get, you know, it's an easy song for me to sing too, so it's a great start song, you know. But um, yeah, I mean, Dancing With Myself kind of got a new life as a bit of a coronavirus anthem, so, you know, there was things like that <laughs> happening, and so <laughs> you come back to playing it and you're sort of playing something that, yeah, right now, at this moment, it did mean a lot to people, even though it's as old as, you know, it's 1980. I don't know. Nineteen eighty, we did that song originally. So, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's it. You feel, and then not playing the songs for a year and a four months or a year year and a half. Yeah, that's right. You sort of feel the power of them that they you know they do have this power. They because so many people like them and a lot of people don't realize. A lot of people don't realize. You know. All the songs I did, you know, and once they sort of come to a show, especially if they're not like diehard fans, they soon start realising. Oh man, I didn't realise he he did all had all these hits, you know, because I did have quite a lot of. They weren't necessarily number ones, all of them, but I did have quite a lot of hits and stuff. So um, I think that surprises people, and that that's the other thing I can feel too. You can feel the songs have a resonance with people.
0: No, it makes sense. And it's interesting. It's funny what you say about Dancing With Myself becoming a coronavirus anthem. And it's kind of what I was getting at earlier too. It's like, and you know, it's interesting going back to Bitter Taste, right? You're writing about an event that happened 30 years ago. It took that long for you to be able to write about it. Songs change, evolve over time. You are a very different person. I know you just had a first grandchild. Congratulations. So, you know, these songs are, are so, are there songs of yours that you know, go back now go back and hear in a different light or that you hear new things in them with all this experience
1: well, yeah, I mean, uh, as I say, some of the classic songs, yeah you can uh, you can see why they they you know reflect for people, why they have a, why people identify with them a bit more and remember why and stuff, but uh, yeah, it's just the power of the songs, the songs have a Yeah, they they do connect with people, and they they continue to connect um, because we get new fans and stuff. And uh, I think uh, as a a lady, a new a lady's just covered eyes without a face, and so there's young uh, uh, stars covering covering the songs, and that's fun to see. You know, people still find them exciting, and think they have a place in this world It's great. I know we got to wrap
0: up in a second, but I mean, it's funny. Well, look, we started this. I was telling you the story about my six-year-old nephew, and. 2004 you know so i mean yes they're clearly they're always going to find new generations and it's an interesting thing as well because i've talked about this with a lot of artists as well like talking about it with iggy and the stooges when they reunited for example it's like there's something invigorating as well about when you see the show from the perspective of someone who's seeing it for the first time so when you come on stage and you are seeing these kids who are 13 14 15 you know screaming their brains out to rebel yell even though they weren't born when it was done, does it make the song more exciting for you as well? Because you see it with their fresh eyes.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, yeah, because a lot of uh, a lot of my audience they come with their children, you know. So <laughs> you're kind of seeing both generations going nuts. You know, it's kind of fun, fun to see. You know, the whole family going going crazy to uh, Rebel Yell or something is pretty fantastic. Well, I got to ask as well, because obviously
0: I saw in the bio where you talked about the fact that, you know, you want this to be a beginning. And I think it's something I've talked about this with other artists as well. You get older, maybe you just realize that you want to release more music. You want to put it out there more. And I remember seeing Springsteen say this in an interview, you just get less precious about it. So for you, do you feel like is this are these four songs the beginning
1: of a more prolific way for you? Well, that's what we hope, yeah. I mean, this is the. We're planning on doing three EPs, which then we might, you know, put them together as an album. So this is like the first one. Hopefully, yeah, we're already on our way to the second one, which will be out before uh, next summer, uh, because we'll be playing in Europe next summer as well. So um, we probably would have been playing this summer in Europe if nothing if we played last summer in the States but that's we're kind of doing this summer what we did last summer or we would have done last summer so I think next year we'll play in in, uh, in Europe and the UK but uh, yeah I'm looking forward to it you know it's 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 really fun it's still fun and thank God
0: I'll ask you questions but one now I'm so curious just as a music fan I asked you about sexy song, but we're talking about how your songs have resonated and they continue to resonate And it's interesting songs that travel with you your whole life as a fan. Is there that song for you that you think back on being a kid and you still, it's still resonant to your life today. And then it's interesting to think about how you had that experience as a fan, whether it's, you know, Anarchy in the UK, Sympathy for the Devil, whatever it is. And to think about the fact that there are people today that are now having that experience with your songs.
1: Yeah, it would be, I loved a lot of the sixties bands and, um, and then a lot of the you know punk rock stuff and everything. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's it. I was always going crazy to stuff which is now really old. And uh, but it's still, if I put on a Stooges record, yeah, it still does, still does it for me. So, uh, I can see that with my music, yeah, it still got that effect on people. It was good enough, and we recorded it. The songs were good enough that they've lasted. You know, it just you could never imagine that. You know, we never. We didn't imagine it going on for six months, two years, maybe when we started out in uh, 1976. So the fact it's gone on this long and still continuing, and we're enjoying it, is pretty wild. Cool. What do you want people to take from these four songs when when you hear that, when
0: they hear them? What do you take when you listen to them as as four complete songs, as a complete work?
2: Yeah, I
1: hope they sort of realise that. Uh, yeah, we're still, like I say, we're still enjoying it, and look, uh, we're finding new ways to talk about things and and sort of fresh ways to do things and we're, we're still enjoying it and I think you can tell from the recordings they've got life they're exciting got life in them whether they're a ballad or a rocker or whatever you know they've, they've got all the commitment we've always had and that's uh, that's that's a big that's a big thing when you're 65 going on 66 is pretty exciting to be able to say that
0: well, I love the fact that you put it as still enjoying it because I've talked about this to so many people and we'll make this lesson. But I mean, it's interesting that you say you're still enjoying it. Do you, I, I feel like for a lot of people, when they get to this point, they're actually enjoying it more.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, there's things about it that don't make it easier. You know, um, You are a little bit older out there doing it and stuff, but then there's other things about you've been doing it a long time. You're very in touch with your... Your instrument, so to speak, you're more in touch with it now. Hopefully, I'm a better singer than I was, you know, in the 80s or 90s. Hopefully, I'm, but you know, you've grown as a your, your your gift has grown. I can see that with Steve Stevens anyway. I can see he's getting better all the time. I mean, if you listen to the old records, his sound now is so much more accomplished than it was on those. Actual classic records, so, so in a way, we sound better than we ever did, and that's pretty exciting too. That's you know, things like that. You just because you can never imagine down the road when you started out that it would be like this. You know, you you had no idea. In fact, you, you know, you just thought it'd be over by now. You know, really. So it's exciting.
0: Well, cool. I know we got to wrap up. Anything you want to add? I didn't ask you about.
1: Uh, I don't think so. Uh, that's, that's great, Steve.
0: Well, as I said, I've waited a lot of years to do this, so it was a great honor to get to speak to you, and congratulations on the new record. I can't wait to hear more of the new stuff as well.
1: Magic. Fantastic. Cool. Thanks so much, man. Have a good one. Thank you, man.
0: Cheers. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You have been tuned into My Turning Point with special guest Billy Idol. Why choose proven quality sleep from Sleep Number? Because our Sleep Number 360 smart bed is really smart. It senses your movement and automatically adjusts to help keep you both comfortable. Plus, it's temperature balancing, so you stay cool. It's even smart enough to know exactly how long, how well, and when you slept. And to help you get almost 30 minutes more restful sleep per night. Sleep Number takes care of the science. All you have to do is sleep. And now, during our Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed Queen, now only 19.99. only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Sometimes you need to take control to make a difference. That's why with FlexPath from Capella University, you're in control. Set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move at a pace that works for you. Discover a different way forward at capella.edu.
2: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football